E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. With Thanksgiving just around the corner, is there a beverage that we could identify as being uniquely American? Some things that come to mind immediately are the genre of the modern cocktail, wines from Lambrusca varieties, and cranberry juice. But what really stands out to me are the wide variety of corn-based whiskeys, including some moonshines, 100% corn whiskeys, and of course, the great American spirit, bourbon. But where does corn come from? Thousands of years ago, corn was much different than it is today. Imagine a bushy grass with thick, starchy stalks. And instead of ears of corn, picture the top of the grass to be more like a grain, like the top of some wheat. This grass is known as teosinte and is still abundant in Mesoamerica today. The kernels in ancient teosinte would have been so small and the fermentable starches in them so scant that no alcoholic product could have been made from these kernels, nor was it a foodstuff. So if people weren't eating or drinking the kernels, why did we choose this grass for domestication? Well, about 6,000 years ago, people probably weren't after the tiny kernels. They were most likely after the fermentable starches in the stalks. Much like chicha is made today, ancient humans would probably chew the stalks to sacrifice the starches, and this would ferment into a low-alcohol beverage. This became so popular that people began collecting the tiny kernels and replanting them. Over thousands of years, people had selected larger and larger kernels, and over time, large ears of corn became the more obvious and bountiful source of fermentable starch. Corn traveled north and became a staple among North American Native Americans. Corn traveled south and became enmeshed in the religious rituals of the Incan Empire, where beautiful women were socially separated, and their job was to chew corn mush, adding their enzymes to sacrifice the starches. These groups of women were to remain virgins, and the alcoholic beverage they made was of the utmost importance for maintaining the balance of their universe. Corn is one of the most popular global products. We use it as food, as food for our livestock, in powders and medicines, in science. We use corn to make oils and flowers, and we use it as a fermentable substance. But without the interest of our ancestors 6,000 years ago, we may never have come to corn ears as we know them and our diets and lifestyles would be much different today. 
You've probably tried some 100% corn whiskeys, and most of us have indulged in bourbons with at least 51% corn in the mash bill. So this Thanksgiving, as you fill your table with foods indigenous to North America, when you reach for a spirit, make it a corn whiskey or a bourbon. Or if you have access to some, chicha would be the ultimate Thanksgiving beverage. It dates back thousands of years, and interest in corn's fermenting abilities is why it is domesticated today. I talk to winemakers all the time, and something they tell me is that oxygen management is a key to aging wine. Finding the right balance is crucial, and that's why I recommend DM's revolutionary cork closures. With DM corks, winemakers can achieve precisely controlled oxygen management after a bottle leaves the winery, ensuring a wine that matures gracefully and reaches its full potential. With over 2 billion DM corks sold each year, it's clear that winemakers worldwide trust DM for consistent results. And DM has recently expanded the permeability options for their popular DM10 and DM30 closures, providing winemakers with even more flexibility to choose a cork that will guarantee the kind of wine life they envision. Banish surprise dud bottles and embrace DM closures. Your customers will thank you. In North America, DM products are exclusively distributed by G3 Enterprises. Ready to ensure the lifespan of your wines? Go to dm-closures.com forward slash I-D-T-T to learn more. That's D-I-A-M-closures with an S dot com forward slash I-D-T-T for more information. Alex Moreau on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. How great, are you? Great to have you here. Thank you. Pleasure. So you are at Bernard Moreau in Sassam Rocher. You started working with your dad in 1995. Yeah, exactly. And what happened next? What happened next? So, yes. So after school, the 95, my first vintage at home was uh, was a vintage 95. I mean, vintage uh, harvests and um, doing uh, some work in a, in a winery, of course. It wasn't a comp- uh, full vintage because, uh, you know, I, I finished my, my studies in July. So <laughs> my first vintage was uh, in uh, in uh, two months later. So yes, 95. Uh, between uh, 95 and 99, I've been uh, working a little bit um, overseas during, um, during the winter period. So it means in the South Hemisphere. I wanted to, to see something different be- be- before to be... Uh, fully involved in my in my domain with my dad and the only way for me to to be able to do it was to to go in the south hemisphere to to be away during winter whereas the work is, uh, is uh, there is less work of course you know it's uh, it is a vineyard work of course but for me and for my dad because he was alone it was uh, much more easier to to go during this period so i did um uh, vintage in New Zealand, uh, winery called Mathieu Valley Wines in '97, um, uh, and uh, I did uh, another vintage uh, at um, Yarring Station. So it's a winery in uh, Yarra Valley in Australia. So you came back 
And you started working at the domain in 99? In 99, yes. Uh, came back. Um, so, yes, yeah, full, full vintage in 99 for me. So the real beginning was, uh, was that. But I think uh, to, to, go, to go overseas uh, with a minimum of, of experience in my place was good because I was able to understand much more what's going on, you know, in, the, in, this, in these big wineries. And, uh, and firstly, uh, as well, to, to speak English. It was good. <laughs> and uh, um, so, yes, 99. When, uh, when I arrived, you know, you, you want to try different things, you, you want to see. And my, at the last time, my dad uh, uh, gave me the chance to make some try. It was uh, it was very important. I have to say that because you no, know, sometimes uh, there is some rivality between generation, and I know that uh, it's not only in Burgundy; it's everywhere, and it's on, not only in the wine business. But uh, uh, I was lucky to have my lad give me some trust me and left me some some try. So you know, you you start slowly. Uh, you want to to move. So for example, if you want some some concrete example, like uh, I wanted to to work with some different barrel supplier, so I change. Uh, so when you when you make a try, it's easier because you can t buy one, two, three, four barrels, uh, put in this cuvee. Okay, let's see. And um, I was able to do this, and uh, I was very interested to since the beginning to use only um, to work with only natural yeast, not natural fermentation. So it's uh, it arrived uh, um, since the beginning. I think uh, I made some try in '98 already, and in '99 it goes for white and red. Only uh, work with natural yeast. So. It's it's a kind of things uh, today after 13 years you got experience with but uh, in the beginning you know when normally you've got uh, fermentation happen during three weeks and suddenly uh, because you make some try all the seller needs to be dry you have to wait uh, three four months to get uh, the one dry when you've got your dad. Uh, <laughs> behind you say hey, you sure <laughs> because uh, it's a part of the fermentation always uh, very very important but I, I trust in natural yeast you know and since the beginning I wanted to to not to be uh, how do you say that to not try to avoid to have a touch on the of the wine wine making you know to be quite neutral try to to leave the wine talk by itself so so this, this kind of things uh, happened, and after you have made some try with a, a lighter fining or one cuvee without any filtration, you know, I, I speak for whites now, you know, whites without filtration in early 2000s, it was not in, the, in all the, the mind, and I wanted to, to make that, to try. And uh, in 2001, for example, on QV of, of, of uh, our Chassin Bourrachet Premier Cru La Mal 3, uh, I made a try on the long aging on lease up to 18 months before my dad used to bottle all his wine uh, before the next harvest. So white, red, generic wines, while well, I still doing that for the generic wine, Bourgogne Ligoté, Bourgogne Chardonnay, Bourgogne Pinot Noir. But for the other wines, the Chassin Village Blanc, Chassin Village Rouge, and all the premier crew, uh, now we do a longer aging. So in uh, 2001, I made my, tr my first try on uh, Chassin Premier Cru La Mal 3 to, yeah, it was uh, 15, yeah, 15 months aging. So, and I really enjoy it. And uh, uh, 2003, it was a vintage a bit different because of the climate. So, 
uh, I did not uh, generalize this my, my my idea, but in the first turn in the one making, I, I think in the style of the domain is um, compared to what we make now is uh, 2004. 2004 is definitely uh, the vintage where we decided to 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 do longer aging on lease. So like today, as we do for my big cuvee of Chassin Village Blanc, uh, you know, we, we were in a total of 14 hectares today on Chassin Morache altogether. And our cuvee of Chassin Village Blanc is uh, it's many vineyards, but it's more than four hectares. It's between four and five soon. So it's a very, very big cuvee. We are talking about uh, more than 2,000, 2000 cases on single bottling, uh, single blend. So it's very important for us, this QV. And uh, yes, now we are about, depends on vintage, between 14 months, 15 months age for this QV. And um, for the premier crew, that's for sure, uh, it's 18 months. So two winters, two winters. I like, I like this. I wanted to move to that to to take my time to bottle the wine. And, uh, you know, because when you, what I didn't like in a shorter aging, not, not the wine, it's just because your bottling date is depending very much about your future picking date. If you've got a early uh, harvest, you're going to have a shorter aging. So if, you, if you've got the room and of vats or bowers or space in your cellar, I wanted to go further in the aging and be able to bottle my wine when I when we think it's ready. When I say 14 months or 18 months, it's general. I mean, we are working very much on the on the pilot, and we think the wine is ready to go. Okay, we we find the wine, and it's another thing is uh, now most of my wine, especially for the vintage 2011, for example. Uh, they were bottled without any filtration. So for white, you know, it's a, it's an, it's a step to bottle the wine without any filtration because uh, I'm not against filtration. It just we try to make everything before to be able to do it. But if, for example, uh, something happen, if the the wine stay very cloudy, uh, uh, I don't want to to keep uh, in my mind no filtration, no filtration, because I think very very cloudy wines you lose purity. Why I decided to to try to make some wine without any filtration it's just because when you've got two winters, the wine settle, settle and settle and. When you taste the wine, say, okay, it's clear. If you are not sure, you can make an analysis. The analysis say, this is very low in terms of uh, turbidity. And I say, why should I make one more transfer to this wine if I am able to do it like that? So it's just like that. The, the answer is just uh, this, this meaning, you know. And uh, today, yeah, we work like that. Um, what are the differences in the taste between the wines pre-99, pre-2004, and today? Um, I think before, our wine were a little bit more approachable younger, uh, a bit more charming. 
uh, a little bit more um, understand uh, under how uh, this more um, more that you can touch more a larger public you know because the wine were like for everybody i wanted to go further to make the wine a bit more precise fresher and lean so it means you don't go in a way to make super approachable wine you you work more on the austerity but i don't want to to make too too tight wine i just want to make it fresher so you know it means um uh, i changed as i said my barrel supplier to have some to get some barrel more fresher i don't want some sweetness in my wood uh, i don't stir the wine or nearly none um no racking and I, I like to finalize my my aging in um, in in tank in stainless steel tank because I like to to leave the wine few months, few weeks, few months, all together blended, and I I think the wine become much more all together. You know because uh, when you 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 do an aging in different barrels, especially in a larger cuvee and you blend and you bottle your wine just three weeks or months after, I think the, the, the wine needs more time to be all together. Good, good, um, good mariage for, for all those barrels. And uh, I think with the, the, the end of the, of the aging in, in tank, I, we get much more precise fruit, more energy into the wine, more fresher. But you lose of the uh, early drinkability. In general, I speak in general, because after you've got some vintages like what you have got now on the market, vintage like 2011, where it's naturally more charming because of the of the growing season, because of the, especially it was much more about the 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 condition of the climate during harvest where we had a very very warm weather and we had a rising sugar very fast at the end with a and the flavor come very very um, quickly and uh, so we've got this this uh, this 2011 vintage balance between it seems to be powerful on the nose and, and in an in attack and the mouse but you finish on a good freshness because the acid is there and on a vintage like that, uh, the wine doesn't matter if you do longer aging. Um, the wine is a bit more charming because it's, it's, it's like that. In the opposite vintage, like 2007, 2010, when it's built with, uh, with the big bone of uh, acidity, when you finish your aging in stainless, it makes the wine even tighter. So you need to 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 find the right people to be able to understand this kind of wine and uh, to be able to sell it and drink it. And uh, for the moment, uh, we stay on that it's now nearly ten years. Huh? We changed the style. I'm able to sell it, and I want to stay in this style. Uh, we, because I, I work with my brother and we go in the same direction. This is, this is important to say. <laughs> uh, when we want to change something, we, we move in the same direction. 
and uh, we don't make millions and millions of bottles. So, you know, I think today we've got maybe the privilege to be able the, to make the wine we want to make and not necessarily to make the wines that the market wants to have. You know what I mean? Because of the way that Burgundy has a strong market, you feel that you can make wines that you want to make and they'll sell. I I hope so. I hope it's not too, uh, uh, too proud to say that, but I think as far as the wine is well made and you find a customer to, to, to enjoy it, this is the best way. And it's why I think a Burgundy can be sometimes so complicated to understand because you've got so many terroirs and in this terroir you've got so many winemakers, the men, where they've got their own style and sometimes people can be a little bit lost because, uh, for example, um, if you can make, you know, the idea where Puni Morache should be tighter, leaner, compared to a chassin Morache, where it's a bit more fruity, more masculine. Uh, today, depending where you are, depending who you are, on the blind tasting, you can you can reverse, you know? Like, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, Meursault, the appellation of Meursault has got the image. Sometimes people say, oh, it's rich Chardonnay. It's, uh, but today, when you taste some some Meursault, there is plenty of different styles. There is some big Meursault, but there is some very elegant and precise Meursault as well. So, winemaking, where it's from, of course, but winemaking as well. And uh, I think there is room for everybody. And uh, so today, uh, we, and it's good to, to try to, to keep a style because you are identified as a style and people, uh, okay, they know, okay, Bernard Moreau, he makes style like that. And uh, if I want this style, I can go for, for his wine. If I want a more fruity wine, I go for another producer. And uh, I think there is room for everybody. In the way that you've done changes in the winery itself, in the couve, has your brother Benoit done changes in the way that the vineyards are managed? Because he's focused more on the vines. On, on the vines, yes, you're right, yeah. Uh, we go slowly and slowly on the, on the bio approach. I mean, the, the hardest work was done uh, uh, in 2004, 2005, where we don't use any more... Uh, herbicide since that and I think the one of the most important things for me to to realize the earth it's is this um, I think of course there is a chemical use after in the vineyard but herbicides uh, it can be one of the most important points so we start from from that you know the kind of thing when you don't want to if you you want to do it, Sometimes you, you want to do it everything in once and uh, it's a lot of work, you can make some mistakes. So we did slowly and now today we are moving slowly to use less chemical or different chemical, in fact. Yeah, and Benoit, my brother, lo look after all this. It's not a huge business and we make uh, each year around, depending on the vintage, normal vintage, not like 2012 or 2013, but normal vintage around 8,000 cases 
uh, yes, I'm more involved in the, in the winemaking and my brother in the vineyard managing, but we discuss together, we know where we go. Yeah. What are the different vineyard parcels that you produce bottlings from? So we start from the beginning. Our um, entry level, it's Bourgogne Aligoté, made from Chassain Morache um, vineyard. I mean, area, not vineyard, of course. Bourgogne Aligoté, we made some uh, Bourgogne Chardonnay as well. Um, and after, we make a little bit of Saint Aubin, Saint Aubin Premier Cru, um, en remis. Uh, then, uh, as I said in the beginning, a big, big, big cuvée of Chassagne village. Uh, it's come from a blend from different vineyards located both sides of the appellation. It's about one third from the south part of Chassagne Morachet, just below the premier cru Morgeau and Changin, where we get uh, um, the, the, the body of the, of the blend and um, the minerality. Then two-thirds from the north part of Chassin-Morachet, close to the border with Puddin-Morachet, in fact, uh, where we get more of this freshness, this fruitiness here. And uh, everything is hand-picked and blended all together uh, right after the pressing. And as I said, fermented under natural yeast and uh, put in barrel uh, and uh, age doing the uh, pens between 14 and 15 months. And after we've got six different premier cru, Chassamorache premier cru uh, Les Chenevotes, Chassamorache premier cru La Maltrois, Chassamorache premier cru Les Changins, Chassamorache premier cru Morgeau, uh, Chassamorache premier cru Les Vergers, and Chassamorache premier cru Les Grandes Ruchottes. And then, uh, from... Uh, Purchasing grapes. Since the vintage 2008, we are producing, we produce, sorry, some Batar Morache. And since the vintage 2010, we produce some uh, Chevalier Morache. We are talking barrels, okay? <laughs> one, one barrel. One barrel of One each. barrel of, uh, of Batar, uh, two barrels of Chevalier. Yeah. So, so the different Premier Crews. How would I approach them as, as different parcels that translate to different wines? If I were a consumer, what should I know about each of those parcels? Okay. Um, Premier Cru La Clé Chenevotte. Um, Chenevotte is a vineyard located more in a slope. It's not a real, sorry, it's, more, it's located in a little, in a little um, valley, if you can say that. It's not very steep. There is some uh, light soil. And the uh, wine here can be very, very um, um, ripe. And for my opinion, especially because we've got two vineyards there, one is uh, nearly 50 years old, one is uh, over 60 years old. Um, we, most of the time, I go and pick this vineyard the first day of my uh, of my harvest, because uh, because we we try to to keep some freshness in our Chardonnay, to keep the, the elegance and the, 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 the zesty um, kind of Chardonnay you can get sometime. Uh, Schoenvot, I try to, to pick it uh, earlier. Because in this vineyard, if you wait, you've got a, a rising sugar, comes very, very fast, and you can producing a Chardonnay with natural 
14% of alcohol. And of course, it will be bigger, it will be richer, it will be very approachable, very direct wine. But for me, uh, too much. And I know it is vineyard because we've got a lot of bunches per vine, but very, very little, what we call millerandage. It's a very, very little, it's like when you've got a bad flowering, you know, you've got in the same bunch, you've got big berries and very small berries. And because you've got a lot of small berries in this vineyard, you have to, you can understand that if you wait too long, the sugar goes very fast and the acid drop. So, so the flavor comes very, very fast here. In small berries, the sugar jumps faster? The sugar climb. I see. Yeah. And and that's because there's less volume of juice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So if you get uneven fruit set, you can have higher sugars as a as a problem when you harvest. After you have, you have to yes, you have, you have, you, I like to have some millerandage, but if you if your vineyard has got only this because it's old, uh, you have to keep an eye about acidity. Because the flavor is there, is there, you don't have to wait. 13, 13.5 to get the right flavor. You can have the flavor a little bit uh, before and you keep the natural freshness. So we are more working on that for the Schoenbot. Has alcohol been a concern for you across the board? Has, have you decided that you wanted lower alcohol levels? Mm, for the moment in Burgundy, except vintage like 2009 or 2003 where it can be an issue, we are, or yeah, sometimes in 2006 as well. Um, um, we don't have too much trouble, but we can see in the previous recent vintage, like uh, if you wait too long, yes, you can, it can be a problem. And uh, so, picking date, picking date is always very important. And uh, I've seen the, some, for my point of view, some evolution, you know. Uh, nearly, nearly now, yeah, twenty, nearly twenty years ago when I started, we can see some competition sometimes, not a competition, but between who's going to pick the let to pick the latest. And for me now today, it doesn't makes any, it doesn't uh, uh, make any sense because it depends how old is your vineyard, how, how crop, what is the crop? I mean, if if you've got uh, 25 hectares on this vineyard because it's 60 years old, it will be right before your somebody else who's got uh, 50 hectares. And in 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 my in my domain, my oldest vineyard like Le Grand Ruchot, this year again we did uh, 24 hectares per hectare. And of course, I picked this this one the first day. There's no point to wait uh, five more days because uh, you lose uh, you lose the freshness. And after, when you've got uh, 45, 50, 55 hectoliters some, on some vineyards, you have to wait longer because uh, it, you need more sun. That's, uh, that's normal. So, you know, and after, if you spray against botrytis or not, you will be riper before or not, you know, all this decision. So for me today, there is no, no, I, there is no philosophy say, okay, I'm going to, to be the latest to pick. No, it just depends how do you manage your vineyard, how what is the quantity, and uh, try to 
to do your, your best with a, with a picking date. And believe me, it's, it's very, very difficult because everything is end-pick. But I mean, what I said now, it's for all the Burgundians. You know, when, you, when everything is, is end-pick, uh, we try to, to wait the, at the last moment to, to choose the right date. But uh, the employee, we, because suddenly, you know, we are, we've got uh, every day uh, during the year, uh, four people work for us, with us. And suddenly we are 40 in the vineyard. So when we have to say to pickers, okay, come, it's ready to go. Uh, it's not like that. They don't wait for us, you know, some, some of them, they work. Uh, so they have to take holidays or so we try to to play between what we want and what people can do you know so this this year we just uh, say a week before uh, okay can you come next next week so yeah you know, it, it worked like that and so, and after of course there was um, the weather the weather is a, is, a, is an issue as well so the Chenevel fruit, after you pick, it goes to the winery, and how is that handled? So press, um, it depends. It can be a full, uh, all bunch press, or um, like, uh, like 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 what I did last year with a uh, vintage uh, 2012, because we had a little bit of hail, and uh, there was some. The problem with hail is uh, on one bunch you can have some one or two or three impact of hail, where this berry never gets ripe, but never. If you test it, you can't eat it. So if you cannot eat it, <laughs> you're not going to make good wine with it. So in 2012, we decided to do a very, very soft press, longer press with no uh, crushing. So all bunch. Uh, normally, I like to crush a little bit my, my Chardonnay, just a little bit to to get more free run juice and uh, with a long press. But uh, yeah, so for the juice, it's, it's like that. And after, simple, uh, after the pressing, it's, everything is, goes in tank, settle with gravity for night, then by gravity down to the barrel uh, and wait for the natural yeast fermentation. And it happens. It depends. Uh, vintage, but this year it was uh, it was uh, it was fast. It start after two or three days, but it can can be uh, four, five, six days. Yeah. And what about the other five premier crews that you work? So, um, premier cru les vergers, chasin uh, premier cru les vergers. So it's touch the chenevot, and uh, but there is more slop, and the soil is very different very very limestone very rocky soil so here uh, most of the time le verger is a terroir where we get the highest acidity the lowest ph and this is keeps i mean it's true in cold vintage and it's true in warm vintage like 2009 it's always like that so of course in a cooler year verger uh, can be uh, can be a bit hoster because uh, you know it's not super charming but in a warmer vintage verger can be uh, one of the most balanced promico we, we can have and for me i like very much verger for my personal taste after we've got uh, <coughs> uh, premier cru uh, la maltrois which is um, 
very central of Chassaim Morache. In fact, the village of Chassaim Morache, there is one road and uh, make like a cycle. And uh, inside this cycle, there is a uh, premier cru, La Maltrois. And the Maltrois, the soil is a little bit deeper. It depends where you are. We've got three, three blocks, but uh, uh, the soil is a little bit deeper. But uh, for our Maltrois, in terms of minerality and freshness, it's not very far from uh, Les Vergers. Um, Maltrois is always is a is a terroir. The wine seems to be on the nose and the attack seems to be big, not big, but oh, it's, it's going to be richer. But after you've got this length, this minerality who comes and makes the wine uh, uh, quite fresh. So there is not a huge. For me, um, when I do a tasting, most of the time I start Verger, then direct Maltrois. In my range of premier cru, I start from the tighter style, go to the bigger style. Um, after we've got the uh, Chassin premier cru Les Chanquins, which is geographically between uh, La Premier Cru Maltrois and Premier Cru Morgeau. And in Chanquin, we can feel uh, there is deeper soil. Uh, so Chanquin. We can, for people who know the terroir of Chassin Morache, when you test a Chanquin, you can feel you you are on the way to go to Morjo. Because Morjo, this is another premier cru we've got, Morjo is known to make some some premier cru with more body, more structure. It's a good terroir to, to make red wine as well. And Morjo uh, can be a, a premier cru very big again. Not like a Schoenvot, hein? just a big, big, big uh, premier cru. And again, with Morjo, for me, it's a kind of terroir uh, I avoid to pick too late. So back to the Changuin. Uh, Changuin is so it's geographically between Maltrois and Morjo. And I will say in the testing, it's about the same thing. Sometimes Changuin can be a little bit leaner, more like La Maltrois, and some vintages, it will be more on the style of, of uh, Morjo where it's a bit bigger. So, uh, Chang'an, it's always a, a terroir. It depends on the vintage. It, yeah, definitely. Before harvest, you cannot say, you know. It's when it's in the barrel, you say, okay, it will be more like that or like that this year. And Morjo, as I said, it's more more richer, more bigger, and they age very well. And after we've got our we classify a little bit uh, as a next step premier cru for us, our premier cru Les Grandes Ruchottes, which is our oldest vineyard, planted by my grandfather uh, in 1939. And uh, where it's quite steep there, there is no much topsoil. It's about, uh, in centimeters, it's about 25, 30 centimeters. Uh, and un under that, there is the limestone, but like everywhere in Chassin Morache, but there is the limestone as a rock, what we call it in French, the La Roche Mer, the, the mother rock. So in this vineyard, you can, you can test the minerality very much. Yes. And uh, Les Grandes Ruchottes has got, uh, you know, it's like some special terroir where you, it seems to be powerful, but it's always balanced with a huge minerality. And this is, makes a big difference for me with this terroir. In terms of ageability, do you find that the Grand Rouchat 
ages the longest of the the premier cruise yes definitely and it's definitely grand shot for me you know it's like uh it's the same altitude same line as the chassin morache les cairet chassin morache la romane oh for me it's like a you know like immersal immersal perrier or um this is a kind of terroir it's not for uh early drinking you know if you it's not a it's not a promaker you put in a blind tasting to win a trophy, you know, because uh, you need more time. Uh, and some, for me, I like them between four to eight years. For me, when my clients ask me, when should I drink my wine? I say, it depends on your taste. For me, it's more about, uh, in general, it's more about uh, the style people love to make to drink it. I, I divide it by three in, in three three parts. Young it means for eleven now to three years. If people they look they love the Chardonnay with uh, the very approachable young fruit somewhere the wine making style, I say to my customer, doing them in the next two to three years. And sometimes I say, yes, but it's not a shame to, to drink it uh, too young. I say, if you prefer this style, just enjoy it like now, it's, it's not a problem. After the second step for me is um, between three and seven and eight years old. It's where I, I drink most of my wine because the winemaking go backwards and the terroir is more obvious. But you still have some freshness because it's not that old, and I like I like them. Like for example, now the the 2004, 2007 start to be very good. You know all this, and after you've got the next, the third step, uh, when you pass the eight, the ten years old, the fifteen years old, where the aromas can be very different, and but uh, you got a lot of complexity, and uh, I like it. I like it uh, very much, but I understand that sometimes I can see people. Sometimes they ask, they want to drink old wine, but in fact, they they don't like it. They prefer the younger style. So it's more about it's not about the aging potential. It's, for me, it's more about a a, mem- a moment where you you want to drink how. At which which uh, which level, yeah. And what about the Grand Cruise that you've been working with? Uh, you started with Batar Montmartre in in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. Chevalier in two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? And and what's the difference for you working with Grand Cru Fruit as opposed to the Premier Cruise that historically the domain has been associated with? Mm, I I wanted to to make it, uh, and for me, you know, it's the only way. To, to be able to make a Grand Cru one day was uh, was through the purchasing grape because to buy a land is uh, too expensive for me. And uh, so Batar Morache, for my young experience with this uh, terroir, but I've tested a lot from my colleagues, uh, Batar Morache is the most powerful Grand Cru in my opinion. Uh, it's like uh, Morjo 
we talk about Morjo. Morjo for me, if I can make a comparison between my my premier cru and with the grand cru style I've got now, I will say um, Batar will go more in a Morjo style with the most powerful. But um, when it's well made, the Batar you can you can avoid this heaviness because sometimes Batar can be big as well. And I will compare the Chevalier more in the Grand Ruchot style, more on the mineral and the fresh, the fresh uh, style of the Grand Cru. So, and I, I can. Uh, it's funny because since we've made this uh, Grand Cru, I can feel the taste of the people, the my customer. I mean, uh, some people say. I'm, I'm in the beginning or when we taste the premier cru, as I can feel, okay, this one is going to prefer the batter instead to the chevalier, or this one is prefers the chevalier instead to batter. You can, it's just a personal taste. It's not to say the chevalier, in the idea, chevalier is always better, uh, supposed to be better than batter. But I think for me, it's more about uh, the style. Yeah. Um, chevalier is more. Uh, about the finesse, the elegance, the class, and uh, the batar is more, more on the structure. Yeah. And you also make some red wines. You make Volnay. Exactly. So I make some red on Chassagne as well. Uh, some Bourgogne, uh, Bourgogne Rouge, and we're into a level of Bourgogne, located on Chassagne Mouraché. And some Chassagne Mouraché village, we call it Vieilleving. It's a blend of our oldest vineyards, which is mean between 50, 55 years old. Then we've got one single uh, premier cru Chassagne Mouraché. This is called uh, Chassagne Mouraché Premier Cru La Cardeuse, which is for us a monopole. So it means uh, we are the only, uh, the only producer to own this, this, uh, this block. And La Cardeuse is, a, in fact, is a subclimate of Morgeau. It's located in the big area of Morjo. Morjo altogether, it's uh, around 60 hectares. And the Lacardeuse, uh, we own uh, 0.8 uh, hectares. So it's about two acres, I believe. Um, so we, we do this one as a monopole. Uh, and then you're right, we make now uh, some, uh, some Volnay. As the same way as we do the, the Grand Cru, we, we purchase uh, the grapes, we, uh, we pick ourselves the grape as well. So we do some Volnay Centeneau, uh, some Volnay, um, a little bit of Volnay Claudetian and Volnay Cayore. We wanted to, to make some, some Volnay, why? Because uh, in Chassagne Mouraché, I made only three wines, Bourgogne, Chassagne, and Chassagne Mouraché Premier Cru. And we wanted to extend a little bit our range of red, and in the family, my parents and my brother, uh, we really um, love uh, Volney. So I wanted to, to try to, to get some grapes and uh, we were able to find some good, uh, good location, good, uh, good vineyards and, uh, you know, like Claudetian and Caire, which is uh, probably uh, the best with, uh, with, uh, with some others, but some of the best uh, terroir in Volnay. And, uh, but we are talking about very limited cuvées. Hein? Um, uh, Volnay Claudetian is two barrels, Volnay uh, Centeneau and Caire. Normally it's five barrels, 
unfortunately, the last two years, it was more uh, two hours of each because uh, of, the, of the climate. But yes, I'm, I'm happy to, to diversify a little bit our range of, of, uh, of rates, but it will stay under control. I mean, I don't want to, to, to make wine everywhere on the coat, you know. I'm in Côte de Beaune. I wanted to make something a little bit further, like Volnay, and uh, I want to stay and keep, uh, stay identified as a Côte de Beaune producer. I mean, I won't uh, produce, I hope, I mean, maybe I will, but I, I don't see in a short future to be able to make some Côte de Nuit, no. I want to stay uh, around where I am. And for you, what is the difference between a red wine from Sassan Morichet and a red wine from Volnay? Volnay, this is for me, maybe the most elegant uh, appellation in Côte de Beaune. It's got this delicate tannin, this feminine touch compared to Pomar, for example, where it's more on a masculine style. But in Volnay, you've got some, you can find some firm from wine as well, like uh, like Caire, uh, uh, it's, uh, I think for me, uh, uh, between the difference between Volnay Santeno and Volnay Caire, it will be this, the same step as I have between my, my Promet Cruise and, and Ruchot, for example. It's one more step in the hierarchy of uh, Promet Cru. More mineral, more class, it's just one or two things makes the wine just must, yeah, yeah, and uh, after, so you've got this difference between Volnay Santeno, Claudetien, and Caire, um, and Chassagne Morachet. So Chassagne Morachet is known for white wine, but uh, there is a lot of red wine, and historically it was uh, in the thirties. Uh, I believe it was. Between 60 and 70 percent of the total production of Chasse Moiché was Pinot Noir, but we are clear. But we stay identified as a white wine area because of the Grand Cru. The Grand Cru is, is only in Chardonnay, and the top premier Cru is, is, is Chardonnay. But uh, Chasse Rouge is not rare, and uh, the image of Chasse Rouge um, is a bit tough. Uh, is a, uh, I mean, uh, in export market to, to try to sell some uh, Chassin Rouge, uh, it needs more time. You have to show the wine, you have to discuss with people. And, but I honestly, I believe uh, there is some good evolution with the quality of reds on this appellation because people have to sell it and they want to to send their own name and they, you know, the reputation, which is true of Chassin Morache, especially on the village level, it's more about uh, tannic, rustic, a bit firm, cut the bone, which is true. And I think now we, we can see more and more uh, soft uh, Chassin Rouge. People just want to relax a little bit on the extraction. On the premier level, you, you, you've got room too for, for extraction. You can go further. It won't be uh, that tannic, it's just because because of the vineyard. So, as for sure, Chassagne Morachet Reyes in general is much more on a masculine style. And uh, so it's why, as well, uh, we wanted to make some Volnay 
to make something softer and very different. Yeah. How do you find it to be different to handle Chardonnay from Pinot Noir in the vineyard, or excuse me, in the winery? Do you approach the two grapes very differently? Uh, yeah. I'm I'm in the in the white area, but I love to make reds. And I love to drink reds. <laughs> I love to make reds. And we keep we keep attention for that with my brother. And you know, uh, our largest cuvee of uh, of of red is Chassin Village. So as I said, uh, technically it was the most uh, difficult uh, vineyard to treat to avoid this this uh, rustic and this tannic style. So so yes, the approach is a little bit different. Um, since the beginning, I mean, everything is end-peak, but we, for example, we we deliver the grape to the winery in a little bin of, uh, what, f- uh, 13, 15 kilo. So it's soft. We don't want to have too much... Um, um, you don't want to break the skins and you, transit you, to the exactly. winery. We don't, yes, we want entire, entire skin, entire berry. So, yes, of course, and everything goes on a sorting table. So, we are, depends how healthy is the crop, but between six and eight around the sorting table. Then, everything is this stem for the village and the Bourgogne. Uh, and we, we try to get the most uh, entire berry to, to preserve the skin. And to leave the, the the maceration slowly goes in these entire berries, and I believe very much in that. And since uh, this is a big change for us as well, since uh, 2009, I start slowly to to keep some uh, wall cluster in proportion uh, in my reds, but for the promicure level for the moment. So for my chassin promicure like Cardeuse, now I'm between 30-40% and for, for my free volnaise as, as well. So using more stems. More stems, yes. I like the idea to get this pre-fermentation into the, into the, the berry. I think I, need, I have to learn. You, know, you need experience for this kind of winemaking. Um, I see some friends, I go to see some friends in Burgundy. Uh, and uh, I think the stem is not into, is not interesting because it's it's, uh, it's green. It's just uh, so what happened in in the berries what is interesting. So and uh, because you're not pressing the fruit. Exactly. We go very uh, we are pressing as as uh, after a few days, but in the beginning we don't touch it. Yeah. And uh, for people who follow us, especially on our monopole, La Cardeuse, for us, people told me, oh, this is different. What, what have you done? So people think, people taste it, and people ask me. So it's not a, you know, when you turn, when you make a change, it's because you want to make something different, and it happens, you know? And I think uh, today, this is much more delicate. 
you know, there is some opinion about old bunch were supposed to make rustic wine because we keep the stem. I think it's not true. The, I mean, uh, the top domain in Burgundy, you keep a large, uh, large part of stems and don't make any rustic wine, or, or they make very elegant wines. But that's for sure. This, this winemaking, I, I don't want to say affect, but has got a direct impact of the style is going to be your wine. So for the moment, I stay a big third of proportion. And uh, maybe I will go further, but uh, we go slowly. Uh, after, it depends on the vintage, of course. Yes, because if you go on that, you need to have a very healthy crop. So and if it's not, the sorting table is absolutely um, um, obligatory. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about weather because Volnay and the Cote de Bone in general have seen a lot of hail in the last couple of vintages and really reduced uh, yields in the Cote de Bone. I've, yeah. I've visited growers and they have barrels you know, lined up against the wall uh -huh. quite often mm -hmm. uh, because they don't have the juice to fill those barrels with in the last couple of vintages. Yeah. What's going on in the Cote de Bone? Uh, how's it, how are those vintages affected to you? So... <clears throat> 2012, this hailstorm touched all the Côte de Bonne. It's very rare, you know, no, normally it can be a, a one appellation or it's north of one appellation and south from the other appellation. But in 2012, it was all the Côte de Bonne. More and less worse for few appellations, but uh, in Chassagne, I had some vineyard uh, estimated by the by insurance uh 40 45 50 percent so it's not nothing you know in 13 uh it was much more on the north had we in chasin we had just the queue of the storm so honestly we had nothing and we can we cannot say more than that because when we see the the some vineyards in savigny les bones or in pomar this year we by respect, we don't say we had any any hell this year because there's nothing to compare. But it's going to be an issue, yes, for sure. So after it depends. When it's one year, it's already difficult. When it's two years, we are talking about a financial problem. Um, I think for people who who sell wine under their own bottle their own label like us we will fill it next year because this vintage 2012 is still in barrel and we will feel the financial problem when we will, when it will be on the market because when when you when you need some money and your your you are already shipped all your wine this is going to be an issue so 2013 I'm i'm okay there is few vineyards where we had no much, uh, no much wine, but it's okay because some other it's so I not complain. But that's for sure. Some I've got some friends in Volney. It's going to be a, it's going to be a problem. And it doesn't matter if it's uh, people or uh, known or not known. I mean, uh, if you are known, 
who's got some stock today? Not much people, you know. And uh, when you've got nothing to sell, we hope to have a, a good crop next year. Yeah, because I think if you if you compare 10, 11, 12 and 13, in four vintages in one row, we can say we have lost a crop. Yeah, definitely. Do you think you'll be able to, in the future, vintages also purchase the Grand Fruit, Cru Fruit? Are you going to be able to source the Batar and the Chevalier going forward? I believe, yes. It's, uh, it's on the way. It's on the way. And um, uh, I'm happy because uh, in, uh, in 2013, um, I make one more barrel of batar. I was able to, to buy, and the good thing is we pick ourselves so, so, so this buck. So I was able to, to get one more barrel, so it's going to be two barrels, which is good. So it's good news. Uh, yes, we hope. We, it's always... Uh, difficult to see the, the future be, be with this very sought after uh, vineyards but uh, the people I work with I trust and uh, I think it's going to be okay and what about the market for your wines mm -hmm. have you seen as the styles of what you're doing in no in both the vineyard and the winery have changed over the course of about 15 years have you seen changes in where the wines sell or a customer response? Mm, I've seen some, uh, I mean, the, we export 70% of our production. And what stays in France, it's mostly goes in the restaurant and, uh, and retailer. Uh, yes, I've seen some, uh, of course, the distribution still is the same, except from we've got some new, new country, new market, but uh, the feedback I receive or people who follow us since uh, more than 10 years, uh, I'm happy to hear people say, oh, this is different now. Your your style of Chardonnay changes is more finer, uh, need more time, but uh, I like I like to say that they, people say, your wine are a bit more digest, you know, in a, in a good way. Uh, I like when people say, oh, my glass is empty and you know another one. <laughs> <laughs> so you're 38. Have you seen a generational change in Burgundy? Does it seem to be a different place or a little bit different place or the same place as when your dad was 38? Um, <clears throat> you mean the evolution of the new generation? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think uh, there is more and more uh, unknown domains going to be on the market uh, because of the new generation uh, this is like that uh, some people where they've got a good uh, vineyard well made but you know to to sell wine under your name you need uh, you have to to make the wine you have to make it good and then you have to sell it uh, it takes time uh, to sell it you, if you want to, to to export so you have to move a little bit you have to well, I'm here today <laughs> you have to to, to move uh, to sell your wine and I think uh, what I did uh, to, to to go overseas uh, in the 90s uh, today a lot of people do that 
and be more open mind and I've got many friends a lot of friends where they dad uh, they just sell in bulk or in juice or in grapes and they slowly keep more and more and more each year to 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 grow their brand and uh, which is good news for Burgundy because uh, some domain today because of the big 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 demand are going to be uh, very hard to get because there is every year there will be new markets huh? so uh, I think in a short future people will be able to get some good wines made from uh, some people for them and they don't know but it's important uh, time now for buyers for sommeliers for distributor importer to get in burgundy to say who is going to be soon a very good uh, producer because uh, there is some big names already in burgundy but there is some potentially a good um noyau comment on dit ça a good um proportion of future good uh, good domain yeah so you're born in the 1970s, mid 1970s. Yeah. As you've grown up and assumed control of your own state uh, domain, mm-hmm. have you seen visitors to Burgundy change? Is it different people than used to come to visit the region uh, from different countries? Mm. Yeah, of course. Now you can see uh, more Asian people comes to to discover to learn because uh, to drink burgundy uh, you have to know a little bit because uh, sometimes i understand people they they don't understand they don't it's not because they don't like burgundy it's just because they don't understand the most easier thing is chardonnay and pinot noir boom that's a good thing but after i can i can i can feel that some people um they just don't understand why there is uh, 50 different producers of Chassin Marche Premier Cru Morgeau. So when they come, they look and somebody takes the time to explain after they understand. And uh, yes, there is more and more people. But you know, <clears throat> Burgundy has always been uh, very touristic. And uh, geographically, it's on the, on the way to the uh, north, to the south, to, to when you um, uh, cross France. So there is a lot of uh, um, Dutch people, um, German, Belgium, uh, uh, comes to Burgundy to make a, a stop before to go to holidays to the south of France. And uh, this has been always. But that's for sure, you can see more and more uh, people uh, but Burgundy attract people more and more. That's that's true. Yeah. And what do you see that might be the future progression for your own domain in the next fourteen years? What what do you anticipate happening going forward? Mm. I hope to get more more vineyard, you know. <laughs> but uh, we will see. Uh, actually, I'm going to have a next year uh, one new appellation. Uh, uh, some Chassin Moirache Premier Cru Clos Saint Jean, uh, white first crop. It's a it's a new vineyard, so you know things like that to extend a little bit. 
but uh, the future for us, yes, we always uh, see what's up about the extending, but uh, the price of the land now is very, very complicated to for us to to pay. So we've got what we've got. It's great. I'm happy with that. And uh, the future is uh, try each year to do the best as we can to to keep the the pressure, to keep the quality, and to be able to to sell the wine easily. Yeah, for the moment it works, but uh, it's a point where sometimes you say, okay, it works, it's too easy. No, just keep the pressure. Just keep the pressure with the quality, and. Uh, no, I'm, I'm now in uh, in Manhattan for for selling my wine through my distributor, and because they do a great job, I'm happy today. We have seen many many uh, uh, customer, and uh, happy to say, oh, we know your wine. We follow you since many years, and just just now want me to 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 show the new vintage. I don't have. Some some um, clients. I don't have to start from the beginning to say who I am, what we want to make, what we try to do. Uh, just uh, uh, on the point where people look forward to wait for the new vintage, and so we try to keep the the quality, the pressure. To any vintage is a challenge every every year, and uh, try to do the best. Alex Moreau at Domaine Bernard Moreau. He's tackling new challenges. And if you are not familiar with the wines, perhaps you should be. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.